0: So we turn to our last passage, or sorry, the last message from the book of Philippians today. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 23, and last week we addressed anxiety, That's always a, uh, these are things that we have to deal with in our own lives, anxiety, Today we deal with contentment. Santoshti. Contentment. Okay. Really addresses the question, are we content? Are we content with our lot in life? And the Apostle Paul, it's interesting, he addresses anxiety and he addresses contentment. And where's Paul? In prison. And he's saying, this is how I address anxiety in my life. And he says, this is how I address contentment in my life. And so let's hear what the Lord has to say to us in terms of how do we address the issue of discontent in our life. But uh, our focus will be 10 through 13, but we'll read 10 through the very end. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. Let's hear God's word. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. That means, I, mean, I know how to be low. And I know how to abound. I know how to uh, flourish well. Everywhere and in all things I've learned both to be full and to be hungry. To abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full." having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma and acceptable sacrifice well pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you, and all the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. 10-13, let's just read that once more. Philippians 4, 10-13. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full, to be hungry, to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's often a verse you see on the wall. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, I don't know about you, but I don't know if you ever took the time to watch fish swim in a tank, and especially goldfish. I've always been enamored by the fact that they're always opening and closing their mouths. Open the mouth, close the mouth, open the mouth, close the mouth. And they just look greedy to me. But then I found out that now this is the way they breathe. This is their way of, of breathing. I said, okay, I learned something new. But seeing fish constantly opening and closing their mouths makes me think of the human heart. The human heart. Picture for a a moment a mouth, a mouth on the human heart, always opening and closing. Wanting more, more, more. Never satisfied, never content, never enough. Isn't that a rich life? No, that's a very poor life, poor life to live. You know the prevailing thinking in our society today is more 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 hey that person has it better than me i'm not content until i have the same or better than him or her so you said notice that there's not a quest for more of jesus but more stuff right a higher salary a newest Technology, the latest fashions, the nicest car. You know, it's not that these things are bad in themselves. They're gifts of God. But you know what the problem is? The problem is with the human heart. What's the human heart like? The human heart is covetous, right? That's the opposite of content, right? And then right away, that brings us back to the 10th commandment you shall not covet. What's coveting? Well, coveting is a heart commandment. That's something that we don't see in others, but the Lord sees it in our hearts. It deals with the whole world of desires. Greed, jealousy, discontent. And you notice these words from Philippians 4, 10-13 speak of contentment, learning contentment. And it's so good to learn from Paul, because if anyone would be discontent, it would be Apostle Paul, (laughs) right? The Apostle Paul, a single man in prison, chains on his arms and hands, all for the sake of believing in Jesus. So the Lord wishes us to hear from the Apostle Paul, which is really his word to us today. And what did we learn from this passage? Contentment is riches. I know the world don't understand that. We have a hard time even embracing that. But the scriptures show us that contentment is riches. There is no richer person in the world than the person who is content. And of course, we're going to see that contentment is only in Christ. Because if you have Christ, you have everything. And that's what the Apostle Paul wants to show us here. You know, Christ died on the cross to free us from slavery. Discontent is a form of slavery. Who loves slavery here? Paul shows this is Christ came to redeem us from slavery, to redeem us from being slaves to sin. Paul bears testimony of this in his own life. As a sinner saved by God's grace in Christ, he says, You know, I want, I want to share something with you. He continues his testimony from chapter 3 now. I want to share something with you. I've learned that in whatever state I am, whatever that state is, to be content. you had to learn that. We're going to see two things here. First of all, the grace of contentment. It's a grace that's given by God. It's something that we can't work up in ourselves. But it's a grace, it's a gift, it's a grace given by God in Jesus Christ. That's the first thing. We see that in verses 10, 11, and 12. And the second thing is, we're going to hear or learn, what is the secret, what's the key to contentment? That way, we see in verse 13. But first of all, the grace of contentment. It's a grace that God truly and really does give to those who believe in Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean we have to work at it. Well, certainly we do. We need to learn in it. But it is a grace that's given in Christ. And it shows itself in three ways. We're going to see how it shows itself, We're going to, just briefly, we're going to see how it shows itself in a grateful heart, and how it shows itself in a quiet heart, and in a learning heart. So a grateful heart, a quiet heart, and a learning heart. That's how the grace of contentment shows. Apostle Paul brings out each one of those in verses 10, 11, 12. See in verse 10, the grace of contentment is seen, first of all, in a grateful heart. What's the first thing he does? Here he is, perhaps skin bleeding from chains on his arms. And he shows his deep, deep gratitude, his deep thankfulness for the church and how they showed such love to him. And how they sent him also a, probably a money gift a gift of money. And he talks about that in three different places in verses 10 through 20. Look at verse 10. He's, he speaks of great joy in the Lord. There, he, there it is again. His great joy in the Lord. He's not rejoicing in his necessarily his own circumstances, but in the Lord. Because he sees the Lord's concern for him through them, but also above all, because he sees that the Lord put generosity, his generosity in their hearts. The Lord made his people generous. That's what he's really rejoicing about, just seeing God's work in their lives. That's verse 10. Verse 14, he tells them that it was good of them to help him in his suffering, in his affliction, in his hardship. Then you see in verse 18, he speaks of the immense value of this gift to him, most of all because that gift that they gave was really a a sacrifice, a, a soothing aroma, sweet-smelling to the Lord. That, that's what he's excited about. Not for himself, but just to see the, the contentment in the church of Philippi. You know, it's interesting that in verses 11-13, to he says he didn't need the gift. He's very clear about that. Nor was he seeking the gift, verse 17. Right? He wants to be really clear that... Uh, He's not seeking this for himself. And yet, at the same time, he's deeply grateful to them for that gift. Not once, not once do you hear the Apostle Paul complaining of verses 10 through 23, though he's in prison. You might think that maybe at the end of the letter he says, you know, this is a terrible position I'm in. And I want to complain to you for a while. Because look, look, it really, it's really bad. It's, it's really crappy in here. No, not once do you hear Paul complaining, though his circumstances are really not good at all. As a matter of fact, earlier Paul said, do all things, if you go back to chapter 2, verse 14, do all things without complaining and disputing. You know what complaining is? Grumbling? It's the thief of contentment. It's a robber sent by Satan to rob us of contentment. Paul knows that. Second, okay, you see the grace of contentment not only seen in a grateful heart, a thankful heart, but you also see it in a a quiet heart, a glad heart, whatever the circumstances. See verses 11 and 12? Not that I respect, not that I speak to regard, in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. See what he says? I've learned in whatever state I am. And you notice that he doesn't specify exactly what state he is, because it could be any kind of state that you're in, whatever it is. But Paul says, whatever it is, I've learned to be content. True contentment, by the way, does not depend on outward circumstances. True contentment does not depend on gaining more money. That last word, that's just a temporary fix. And before you know it, you're not content again. Contentment is a grace that Jesus gives. Yeah, that Jesus gives in whatever circumstance. In great times, we need it. And in hard times, we need it. And that's the other thing here. A noisy, restless heart is the thief of contentment. You ever feel it noisy in here and restless? It just It's a robber. It's a terrible robber. And it takes that, it robs one of that Grace of contentment that God really gives. It's easy to think that we will be content when we have this, or when we have that, or when this, or when that happens. Well, what does the Bible say? Of course, you know we we know that the one who gives contentment. Think about Jesus on the stormy seas. Remember in the boat. And with the authority, the king says, peace, be still. That's the kind of authority that the king has, even over our hearts. We surrender our hearts to him. He can quiet them. He can make them glad. Of course, the grace of contentment does not exclude personal aspiration or ambition. Of course you may have ambition. Of course you can have personal aspirations. God created us to be that way, to be workers in his kingdom, you may work hard to get ahead in life. Nothing wrong with that. And because through these things, God promises to provide for your family. He also enables you to provide and give to his kingdom here on earth. So that's the one thing. Also, the grace of commitment commandment does not kill desire. We have to be careful with that, too. Jesus rescues. He saves desire from envy, from discontent and greed our savior, our king he changes the desire from grasping to giving that's the mark of a quiet, glad heart okay, it doesn't exclude doing what's right contentment is not the same as tolerance or tolerating sin no it's, it, want, it still seeks to do what's right but the point here is the grace that God gives goes so deep. Regardless of outward circumstances, he gives the quietness of heart. Some of you may have heard of uh, Johnny Erickson Tada. By the way, she's still alive. You can listen to some of her stories and her testimonies. You can find her on YouTube. It's amazing how the Lord has worked in her life. We come to know that she was an athlete, a very prominent athlete, and she got paralyzed neck down in a diving accident when she was 17, 18 years old, very young, very young lady. And she writes this It was only after I got out of the hospital and wheeled through the front door of my home that I was hit with the cold, hard facts of my being paralyzed. She said a doorway into my house was now too narrow, because she was now in a wheelchair. A sink was too high. A plate of food was placed in front of me, but my hands remained limp in my lap. Someone else had to feed me. I felt trapped. Our cozy home now felt like a jail. And my confinement forced me to look up, or my confinement forced me to look to another captive. Who's that captive? Paul. The Apostle Paul, she says, was in a Roman jail, and he thanked the believers in Philippi for their concern. And then he reassured them, I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. (coughs) Oh, it took time, she says, but I eventually became content like Paul in Christ, I found quietness of heart that could gladly submit to God from my wheelchair. So, friend, if you feel trapped, read about the Apostle Paul. Follow his example. A quiet and glad heart will be yours. Of course, we follow his example, but understand that that grace of contentment really comes from the Lord. Submitting to him our circumstances. So that's two things. The grace of contentment gives a thankful heart, gives a quiet and glad heart, whatever those circumstances are be. Terrible circumstances. But Paul could speak of that. The third thing, the grace of contentment, which Christ gives, is also a learning heart. Paul says, I have learned. See verse 12? I've learned in whatever state, verse 11, I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. It's something that's learned. It's something that we need to learn, to grow, to cultivate. that's That's a lifelong process, right? We always find ourselves going back to Jesus again, saying, Lord Jesus, sorry. I have just not been content today. And I have to confess that. It's really not right of me to be discontent because look what you did for me, and you're giving your life on the cross, and how all things belong to us because of what you did by sacrificing yourself for our sins. It's something that we need to learn, go back to Christ for again and again and again. You know, contentment is not natural to anyone here, any one of us here. Why? Because we're born with a a sinful nature. We're born with a sinful heart. And because we're born with a sinful heart, it's so easy for our sinful passions to be stirred up. Greed, jealousy, lust. Uh, Hey, that person has it better than me. Well, we might not tell anybody, but maybe we think that in our hearts. And discontentment. Remember Paul? He struggled with it. (laughs) The Apostle Paul who says it here, he says... Romans 7, for I do not do the good I want to do. And then he says, but the evil I do not want to do, that's what I keep on doing. He talks about covetousness in his his own heart in that chapter. He struggled with it. He battled with it as a Christian. He's there speaking as a Christian. Learning contentment, Paul says, you know what it takes? It means battling it. It means going to Christ with it. It means asking him to give us the strength to die to it, to bury it, to forsake it. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. A lot of people don't want to follow Jesus Christ because it's so demanding. Right? But they forget that he gives the grace so that we can live that rich life in him. If the heart is a source of covetousness, what's the end? Idolatry. Idolatry. Sad to say in our society, money is an idol. Think of today, money is a God for which many are willing to sacrifice their happiness, their children, their health, and their own lives. Think about it. In our churches, even in many churches, many working couples hardly know their children, because they are too busy, too busy making the dough. And they forsake their children. And they wonder, why did we lose the next generation? A generation. We raise a generation of discontents, who become malcontents. You know, malcontent is. One who's not only dissatisfied but rebellious. Paul addresses that because he knows that that is in us, and it needs to be. It needs to be. Uh, it needs to be uh, fought against and overcome. And by the grace of God, that's what the grace of contentment is. The grace of contentment is an attitude which we learn by the grace of God. We grow. We cultivate it. And we want to teach our children that. It's so important. Not only teach, but our children need to see that as an example in our lives as believers. How do we learn it as Christians? Well, Jesus cultivates contentment through the Word of God. Just always going back to the Word of God, reading it, hearing the Word of God. Because He's so good. He gives us His Holy Spirit to kind of work that in us in His way, in His time. So good to be under the Word of God. But the other thing is, Jesus loves us so much. He loves us so much that He cultivates contentment in our lives, sometimes through really hard experiences. He brings us really low so that we look to Him and say, No, 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 you're not going to find contentment here, but in me. That's the love of God in Christ that does that. A grateful heart, a quiet, glad heart, a learning heart. These are, you could say, all expressions of a, of a trusting, submissive heart to Christ. That's really what it all expresses. A trusting, submissive heart to Christ. Of course, that is by the grace of God. We, we come to him, we plead for that for him, and he gives it. He gives it. That's the grace of God. Contentment, as Johnny Erickson Tata says, has an internal quietness of heart that gladly submits to God in all circumstances. How do we receive this grace of contentment? What's the key to contentment? That brings us to verse 13, but also verse 19, because verse 13 and 19 really belong together. It comes by trusting in Jesus, continually trusting in Christ. Verse 13, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul's not saying here that Christ can enable him to do anything. Okay, that's, the, that's the danger of putting that, just that one verse on the wall, because it seems like maybe we can do anything. But the context here is in the context of contentment, verses 10, 11, and 12. The believer, what Apostle Paul, so Paul is saying is, as a believer, you have the ability to face all your circumstances through Jesus. He gives you, the believer, the strength. Go to him. Call upon him. Turn away from a discontented spirit. Go to him. He gives you the strength. He helps you overcome. You don't have that in yourself. No, we're born discontented. We're born covetous. But this strength you receive by Jesus, or from Jesus, by trusting in Him, who loved you, who gave His life for you, who gave His life for discontented people, discontented sinners. He arose, He ascended to heaven, He reigns. You know what that means? That's good news. That He reigns. That means He's King, and as King, He enables you to subdue those terrible feelings in your heart. Those. Terrible feelings of discontent. The words of Psalm 131 come to mind. Ever read Psalm 131, verse 2? The psalmist finally came to it. He says, Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. You know, when you have Jesus, and the world doesn't understand this, we have no need to want more. When you have Christ, we have no need to want more. We want more, <laughs> that's often our nature, but we have no need to want more because we have everything we need in Christ. In this life, it's not temporary, and in the life hereafter. Christ now, Christ then, Christ around me, Christ before me. Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ all around me. I have everything. Those words of Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. And what's the next line? I shall not want. I shall lack nothing. That very contentment is riches. Are you rich? You know, that, that, that contentment that God gives, those are riches. Hard to imagine it, because we find ourselves battling, but that's riches. The heart is full then. Then the heart is full. It's no longer like that fish, opening, closing. Except it is opening, closing, but because, but because it wants more of Christ. More of Christ. Not more of the stuff of this world, which is just a temporary fix. But like one-night stand, that's all that is. I have it. Gone. I have it. Gone. I have it. Gone. I have Christ. I have everything. I want more of him, says Paul. More of him. (sighs) Saying it to myself, by the way, as well. I understand that. As a believer in union with Christ, we may freely draw on his strength. He is fully able. And he's also willing. This is a beautiful thing. The most discontented person he is fully willing to come and take you out of that. Take me out of that. He supplies. See verse 19? It fits so nicely with verse 13. Trusting God to supply all your need. Verse 19, And my God shall supply all your need according to the riches and glory by Christ Jesus. What's the greatest need of all? The greatest need of all is the ability to face circumstances through the one who gives you strength. Verse 13. Right? The greatest need, the greatest need is, or sorry, is the ability to face circumstances through the one who gives you strength. Christ, the secret of contentment. You know, sad, to, so sad to say, in our church world today, Philippians 4.19 is often used to apply primarily to physical needs. It's often used by so-called gospel preachers. Often you see them on television or on the internet. And they're there to boost your discontentedness. They're there to boost your greediness. That's a movement called the prosperity gospel movement. What is the Prosperity Gospel Movement? It says if you believe in Jesus, He wants you to be rich with money. He wants you to be healthy so there's never anything wrong with you. Health-wise, these health-wealth preachers claim that God in this verse promises to supply you with all the luxury and all the money and health in accord with God's riches and glory by Jesus Christ. You know what they do? They're not from God. They're from Satan. Please understand that. They use this. But they come from Satan. And what they do is they manipulate the Bible to justify their greed and your greed. They're there to justify your discontentment and their own discontentment. I'll just give you one quick example. They're not from God. Understand that. When you see them on internet, turn it off because they're messengers of Satan. An example of this is the so-called hundredfold return teaching. What they do is they distort Jesus' promise. They twist it to provide... Sorry, they distort Jesus' promise in Mark 10, verse 30 to provide a hundredfold return to those who leave everything behind to follow Jesus. What they say is, give to God... And you will be blessed with a hundredfold. So give me a dollar for the gospel's sakes, and guess what God will give you? He'll give you a hundred dollars. This is actual, this is actually being said by certain preachers. Copeland, I'm gonna give you the name, Kenneth Copeland. And his teaching is spreading into Africa, Asia, India. Right? One dollar for me, God will give you a hundred dollars. Ten dollars for me? God will give you a thousand. See the hundredfold. In short, they say Mark 10, verse 30 is good as a good deal. And so what happens? Listeners empty their pockets and they fill the pockets of the greedy ones. Preachers, gospel preachers. We have to say this because Jesus warns about this in Matthew 7. Turn off those preachers. They're not preachers. They're false preachers. They're false teachers. What the scriptures call covetous and sinful, these covetous preachers proclaim as, oh, possessing your physical inheritance here on earth. That's not the gospel. God does not promise physical health. God does not promise material wealth in Christians in this life. You know what these preachers very rarely do? They very rarely point to the cross of Christ and the need to repent and receive forgiveness from Christ. God supplies the needs of his people by giving them resources to cope with hardship. That's what he does. We have what we need and way more in Jesus according to the riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You know what true true contentment does? Look what it did for the Philippian congregation. It opened their hands. It opened their hearts to give. Generosity is born out of contentment. A discontented person usually isn't generous. And for Paul, greater than receiving the gift is is that their giving is first and foremost an act of worship to God. It wasn't just, I'm giving to God so that God will give me more back. No, Paul saw that their giving was an act of worship to God. See what he says in verse 18? The things sent from you, these are a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. He sees their motive in their giving. They just love God. God's love is in them. And that brings them great joy. That brought the apostle great joy because he says, Oh, my teaching has brought fruit in their lives by the grace and power of the Holy Spirit. Contentment in Christ is riches. Let's bring this message of Philippians 4 to a close. You think of what we said last week, what we heard last week and today. Notice when, when we are content, you have the inner joy of verse 4. You have the peace of verse 7, and you have a heart that gives. I'm not just speaking of financially, but just a giving heart. In verses 10 through 20. Michael Brown, he's a missionary in Italy, he writes it this way. It's in suffering that God's resurrection power is manifest in our lives. As we continue as disciples of Christ, he says, even through hardships and heartbreaks, we are being conformed to the image of Jesus. When we die to ourselves and our own comforts in order to serve others, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead is that same power at work in us. When willing to pay the cost of follow Jesus, God's power is made perfect in weakness. The Holy Spirit is at work in you, O oh Christian. He has united you to Jesus, who came into this world not to make our lives more successful, Or more convenient, but to bury us and to make us truly alive. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And my God shall supply your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. The kingdom of God, of course, is not yet here in all its fullness. That day is coming. It's begun. So press on. Press on. Always looking to Jesus, the author and finish of your faith. You know Hebrews thirteen verse five says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. Boy, that's rich. Contentment in Jesus. That's richness. That's wealthy. That's a life to be had.